you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Dow's taking aim at three gains in a row today on the back of some pretty solid industrial results. We'll get to Tesla, airlines, and a host of others as the Fed Chair Powell gives us one last bit of Fed speak this afternoon before the blackout begins. VIX below 20. Our roadmap begins with Tesla's record quarter, crushing expectations, but continuing to caution about ongoing supply chain headwinds. Plus, airlines are soaring this morning, both American and United, forecasting a return to profitability this quarter as travel demand surges. And starting over, sources telling me that Melvin Capital's Gabe Plotkin wants to unwind his current fund so he can start a new one with essentially the same money, but no high watermark. We'll start that with Tesla up sharply after posting that record quarterly profit despite these supply chain challenges. During the earnings call yesterday, Elon Musk expressed optimism about the company's growth prospects. We aspire to head to 20 million units a year. So we're basically 5% along the way uh, for towards our goal. And um, we're growing you know, very, very rapidly a year over year um, and uh, remain confident of exceeding 50% uh, annual growth uh, for the foreseeable future for basically several years, several of the next years. I've never been more uh, optimistic or excited about the future, Tesla's future than I am right now. We're obviously not uh, demand limited. We are production limited by very much production limited. Sticking by that 50% annual volume target, Jim, although he said 60 if everything goes right. Right. I mean, you got the 20 million uh, car goal. It, it, now, I, I will say this. There was a moment where one analyst said, is it possible for you to have $500 billion of cash <laughs> in, you know, in just a few years? And he said, yeah, but it may be worth $20 billion if we don't get inflation under control. This was the most high level I've seen an executive talk about the world. Uh, I, I like things. I mean, we're going to talk about some of these different issues that are niggling. Uh, but Shanghai coming back with a vengeance. You know, no one says Shanghai's coming back with a vengeance. This man is saying it's coming back for the peasants. The no steering wheel or pedal car, which is the lowest cost per mile. That's that robotaxi that's so exciting. He does make a joke about how uh, lithium, he goes, do you like uh, printing money? Well, the lithium business is for you because they're taking 90% margins here, and that is the limiting principle. But he'll figure a way around that. A lot of what I find he's a chemist. He's a logistics specialist. Uh, he's an international, he's a globalist. Uh, you never want to say to yourself that here's a person that can do no wrong. Uh, but there really were no flies on that quarter. We can talk about some supply constraints, but the fact is, is he's got the least amount of supply constraints per vehicle of anyone I follow. And it was a tour de force quarter, of which, by the way, there were no questions about Twitter. 
No, uh, no, no, uh, no new information from him on the call about uh, his bid for Twitter, 5420. And nothing new, by the way, to share, at least uh, from me, uh, on where things stand right now uh, between him and the board. I'm sure we will get more as we move along there. The stock, though, for Twitter's part, has traded well below that 5420. But as for Tesla, I mean, I'm looking at a Jonas note this morning, guys. Adam Jonas, we consider certainly one of the more creative creative, interesting analysts uh, saying it's not so much the strength of the quarter that's impressive, but the gap to the competition. The more we see out of Tesla, the more we're concerned about the rest of the industry's ability to play catch up. Well, the only thing that I heard is a little oddity, but if you're on the CSX call, which was a very good call, by the way, they're talking about the next big thing in EV, which is VinFast EV, Vietnamese company based in Haiphong. Uh, which is being built in North Carolina, which they think is going to be able to challenge Musk. Uh, but uh, it's the largest project ever, industrial project ever in North Carolina. But you know, we're going to have Ford coming out soon. Does Ford have the right chips? They need a deal. Does Ford have enough lithium? They need a deal. Um, it, these are all things that Musk saw coming. So when you're dealing with somebody as fine executive, say, as Dow Chemical, Jim Fitterlin, he would say almost no one saw any of this coming. Union Pacific, almost no one saw any of this coming. Well, the almost is always Musk. He saw it all coming. Uh, he, when It's funny because yesterday was the day that the Mexicans totally nationalized lithium. They got a huge amount of lithium. So he's absolutely right. Mexicans are extracting their lithium. But lithium is a, a gating factor. But he's even thinking about other metals besides lithium. He's kind of like the way you were in World War II. Okay, so uh, steel's not working. Let's switch to another kind of equipment. He has a level of urgency that is just unusual in this world. And uh, he's very joyful, even though he was kind of flat last night. It's just not the old Musk. <laughs> Maybe he's tired. Well, I mean, he's running how many companies? Yeah, he's running, I don't even know how many companies, and he's making an unsolicited bid for another company. I mean, he's, he's got a lot on his plate. You know, you take a it doesn't look. seem to stop him, though. They're the only... The only person in this world that seems to be able to have the Chinese where he wants them is Musk. The only person in this world who is really shaming the Berlin, British BMW in Mercedes, is Musk. And he is having the time of his life. You know this. Well, it's just, it's joyful. I mean, well, it's playful. Yeah, there's, playful. I mean, just the metrics alone, uh, auto gross margin 32.9. We were looking for 31. Uh, the Jonas note also points out revenue growing 3x faster than CapEx. You got one of the most highly valued, the most highly, highly valued industrial company with virtually no industrial debt. Which implies a lot None. more free cash flow to come. Right. That's, import- that's why that's such an important component. The One's free- going here, the other's going here. That's margin. Well, it's like Henry Ford. That was, that was Henry Ford. I mean, he figured out he could pay his workers more, $5 a day. Why? Because he was making so much more per car than, than he thought because he was a great industrialist. There's a lot of, in, on the cops school, there's a lot about, how, you know, how many different pieces you need to put together to make a car. And he's figured that out, too, number of pieces. He really is, you know, there used to be like this tailor system of manufacturing. Well, he's going back to the roots of manufacturing. He is the number one manufacturer right, so, in the world. So back said, to the, he said on the, the TED conversation that he... He probably knows more about manufacturing than anyone. Yes. That's, he what, does. that's what he said. <laughs> he might. He <laughs> might. Possible. He might. He probably knows more about getting a rocket to Mars, too, than virtually anyone. It, look, I, you know, Same so, guy. <laughs> remember, Einstein was a smart guy. It's true. Yeah, you walked around in that but, era. But Einstein. And you said, you know, Einstein, he was real smart. When Mozart he didn't was think alive, about products, he was, he was like thinking about relativity. Well, I mean, and, you know, true. Yeah, but I mean, I'm just saying that this is black a guy. holes and. Uh, 
the other guys, look, I happen to like Ford, Jim Farley. And he's a competitor, and he's a car guy. And I think he's the guy who's most likely going to be able to come up with a model. But the fact is, is that when you hear about semiconductors and Tesla, oh, he thought about it. He thought about it. But then you listen to all the other companies, it's like, wow. And, you know, almost every company's country's hostage is Taiwan Semi. Can, I, can we... Before what? we end, can we just what? come to the stock price itself, which we're seeing is going to be up? It should and, be up and more. What, what I don't even know, again, but back to, you know, I asked this question on Netflix yesterday, perhaps harder. What should, what's an appropriate multiple the company's going to do? I don't know what the number is anymore now. It's $3.3 billion in profits this quarter. I don't know what well, it's looking like for the next 12 months. But what's, you know, it tra- obviously it's got a $1 trillion well, dollar market value. It's but- the only company that's still constrained in a period where you have many companies that are selling that, you, you know, that used to be great fan companies that are selling in mid-teens. And this is the only one that's difficult to value like this because you have to value it on revenue growth, which can accelerate. You do, but you can actually value it at a multiple on earnings given its growth rate that doesn't sound, I don't it's know, what is not, it, 80, 90 times? I mean, I know that sounds insane, no, but, but then I, again, it's growing earnings that are pretty significant. Clip. Look, if he's going to have $500 billion in cash. Well, I don't know. Where, where well, did that come from? Like, one of the analysts. I, well, I didn't make it up. I know that, but what math are they doing that gets the five hundred billion in cash? He's the only made. It's the only growth stock that's outrunning projections of revenue growth. I mean, we have all these companies every day that come in. It's like this was good, this was good, and we're cutting our price target. This is the only guy that's not like that, and it's not just the cult. It's how he's talking about if they make this robocar, it'll be the cheapest robotaxi. It'll be the cheapest thing going. Henry Ford. Henry Ford and not Annie Smith. Got it. Yeah, uh, huge industrialist historic in a lot yeah. of ways is what we're watch- witnessing. Meantime, the airlines, American United up in the pre-market, both airlines posted losses for the quarter, but they do expect to achieve profitability in Q2. Yesterday on Fast, United, Scott Kirby explained why these trends are so favorable. Really what's changed is demand. I've never seen in my career, and I've been in this industry a long time, such a hockey stick increase in demand, leisure demand, but also business demand. We actually expect business tra- our business revenue, uh, book business revenue, to be above 2019 levels uh, in just a few weeks. And both American and Alaska uh, see Q2 revenue um, 6 to 8% above Q2-19. Supply constraint in every single way. Seat, uh, seat prices going up. Prices going up so much, but there's no demand destruction. American Express reports tomorrow. See, we have a compendium of everybody's spending. Uh, these airlines are, are, they all go out and say, listen, it's the best it's ever been. Uh, Boeing, if they had planes or if they got approval with the, uh, well, they have some 737s, but got approval for some big plane, it would actually sell a lot. Uh, the, the airlines, by the way, are, are all um, in sync, in part because, again, this is a great reopening trade. And we haven't had, you know, kind of forgot it after Omicron, but it is so back. If you take a look, there was a big dip in the airline stocks just a couple of months ago. And now that's, that dip is being taken away. And you can buy any of these because uh, unless you think that, that fuel, and Brian Sullivan talking about jet fuel, unless you think that fuel is going to over, overrun the cost of a seed, these, these, these are selling at very low multiples. They are, but for good reason. I mean, right. There's still well, a lot of volatility in the business. It's still not clear 
Well, you know, he's, um, there's Cinderella. Things are very good, are going to be good for a period of time now. But yeah, we still don't know about the return of business travel long term or not. No, we know it's not going to ever get back to what it was in 2019. We do. Um, we, do we do know that. I think we do. Yeah, I think we can I, safely I don't know say. Oh, I, come on, come on! Really, the level of travel is in business. People are not going to substitute certain trips. Well, it's just that, I'm saying they, it's 2019. It's going to be up year over year. Oh, I'm just saying no that, that the American consumer is so strong. Al, what Brian Moynihan was saying, Bank of America, they'll pay. They seem to have very little resistance. It's kind of like on the Proctor call, which is a really amazing call, where they said, "Listen, we've raised price, raised price, raised price. Well, is there any? Well, when, what are, when are people going to start trading down?" And they said, no, people are trading up. That's an interesting theme you're but raising, none of Jim. The, all those it really is. I mean, I took economics for two years with the allegedly best guys like Galbraith and Eckstein. What a bunch of hacks. <laughs> you're Everything you taught me was wrong. Point, which is we're dealing with uh, historically incredibly high rates of inflation, and yet it doesn't seem to be tempering demand exactly. as of yet. None of the economics books are working, which is one of the problems that Jay Powell's going to have. You know, we talked to Jim Fitterling, who's really probably one of the intellectual deans of business right now. And other than housing, I mean, you know, there's a big, a big famine story developing, all right? And, you know, the Fed's not going to be able to control, you know, famine cannot say let them eat bread. They can't even give us a circus. No, I'm just trying to get the transitions down there from demand to famine. No, no what I'm saying is, is that when you look at the Fed, they're stuck with controlling housing. They can't control auto. Got it. They can't control food. Right. They can't control the price of, 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 of aluminum. These are all supply constraints. I'm just saying that if you listen to the Fed show today, which I know that Jay is watching every minute, you'd say, oh, man, I don't know. Jeez, I, what do I do? We're i got to solve the, the Hi, war in Ukraine. And by the way, the, 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 you say that, you know, you say Putin gave up on Maripol now that there's a factory there? I think, um, I think. Quite the opposite. Exactly the opposite. This is Stalingrad. It's the tractor factory. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. Uh, we are going to watch for Powell this afternoon uh, and see if he blesses perhaps a 50 basis point rate hike. We're going to talk to Calvin McDonald of Lululemon talking about the consumer on their new five-year growth pan, plan, some of these revenue targets. We'll get to some interesting stories on Lamb Research. Carvana today is pretty interesting. And futures do look good as the Dow, as we said, goes for three in a row. Don't go away. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. I wanted to get to a story that uh, we broke last night uh, on CNBC.com. Been a long time since I was sitting writing a story at around 10 o'clock at night. But uh, it is that one right there, of course, involving Melvin Capital, the well-known hedge fund run by Gabe Plotkin that, of course, got itself stuck into the meme craze, oh, well over a year ago, and it was short GameStop. Since then, of course, performance has been 
well, horrible, uh, down 39% last year, down 21% as of the end of the first quarter. That, again, according to sources familiar with uh, Mr. Plotkin's performance. Uh, the story, though, is uh, what next? And the what next is the following, that uh, Mr. Plotkin has approached his investors, started to have conversations with them about the idea of essentially closing his fund, so to speak, or allowing those investors who want their money back to take it back as of June 30th only for him to then begin again on July 1st with a essentially new fund. He's saying to those investors, you can have your money back or you can let me continue to have it. But the key differential here will be that I no longer have a high water mark. And we should explain what that means. Essentially, in the case of Melvin, for example, if you gave him new capital and then you were down 39 and down 21 percent, well, you're at like 50 cents in the dollar maybe even a bit less than that. He's got to get you back to 100 cents in the dollar before he can earn his performance fee. That's the way it goes with hedge funds. That's the way it's always gone. When Jim ran one, that's the way it was for him. And the point is, yeah, you get a chance to get really rich, Mr. Hedge Fund Manager. And of course, in the case of Mr. Plotkin, that has been, uh, in fact, what happened. He became an immensely wealthy man, bought sports teams, big homes and everything else. But if you start losing our money, you don't get to make money on our money until you make us whole. He wants to upend that. And he is hoping that the allocators, perhaps, given this choice, will say, yeah, we'd rather just stick with you, especially because it doesn't give them a lot of time to reallocate those funds. We'll see what the reaction is. Certainly a key reaction will be from Stevie Cohen uh, as well. Remember, he, along with uh, Citadel, uh, Ken Griffin, gave about $2.75 billion into the fund last year to help steady things after those significant losses as a result of the meme stock craze. But it is essentially saying, hey, I'm going to get rid of my high water mark. I'm going to be able to begin again. Now, again, what I am hearing from people familiar with the conversations is that he has said he will keep his assets below $5 billion, perhaps starting with as little as $4 billion, still a fairly large hedge fund, and refocus his strategy on what has been one of his key core competencies, namely shorting stocks, until, of course, he got himself stuck in that short uh, at GameStop. But had great success for many years, put up very strong numbers and helped attract enormous amounts of capital that, and this is an old story in the hedge fund business, took him away from that core competency, had him doing things that perhaps he wasn't quite as good at doing. Um, we've seen that many times. And so that at least is the, the proposition to, to, uh, to investors saying, yeah, I'm not going to get you back to even. I'm not going to work to return your capital to where it was so I can start earning my fee. I'm going to actually change my approach a bit, get smaller, go back to what I know how to do. And this is going to let me keep my people, by the way, because when you have a high watermark that you're never going to reach, well, a lot of your people leave because they're not going to get paid, even though one would imagine, Jim, that you could pay them, I don't know, you could give them parts of the sports team or maybe just part of your own money to keep your people. Um, It will be very interesting to see what happens here. And by the way, if he is successful, my bet is a lot of hedge funds well, going to go this way. will try and do the same thing. It, it is rather incredible. It's all you're buying vacuum cleaners that turn up at full price. But, I mean, this is one of those things where uh, there'll be rich people who will say, hey, I'm with them through thick and thin. And then there'll be people who say, look, this is just so outrageous. I'm out of here. But the... It, they'll probably make a 50-50 split. And I think that's what he's hoping. I believe he had as, at least as much as $10 billion in the fund. Uh, so he is expecting a lot of capital to be returned. 
Uh, at the same time, as I say, those who allocate for a, live, for, uh, for a business, the hedge fund allocators, they probably don't want to use chunk of capital coming back that they don't know what to do with because right. it takes quite some time to do your due diligence on other managers and the like. So it's very interesting. We have seen hedge fund managers who closed down and then a year later, they reopen. They reopen, which is and again, they have effectively nice. done the same thing: eliminated their high water mark to be able to reopen and make money. But this is sort of a new or novel twist on that uh, for Mr. Plotkin, who uh, I've not spoken with. No, uh, I only you know, this, I don't know him. Well, I'm not spoken to him. I mean, one of the things is is that he's a nice, cordial man. I don't know how far that actually gets you in this world. But Carl, I've got to tell you um, that I think a lot of our viewers would say, "Well, this is just outrageous." Because it kind of doesn't matter. You lost a lot of my people, you start over. But I also know it's a rarefied group of people who are in this. And a lot of the people who put it money in, are, it's a rounding because they're so rich. That's true. Uh, but as is he. But he got rich because of their willingness to invest with him. And it does sort of question that relationship. Well, Although they can all my leave. My expectations, for example, 0.72 and Mr. Cohn probably will. Uh, go along with this and the belief that returning to his core competency will result in very strong performance. We'll see. Mulligan Capital Management, as Mark Dow writes on Twitter. Unbelievable. <laughs> what a turn. Mulligan. It's very good. Mulligan Capital Management. It's very good. good. We'll get Kramer's Mad Dash and countdown to the opening bell uh, in a moment. Take a look at the futures here on this Thursday. Uh, another solid pre-market. We'll see what holds when the opening bell rings in about eight minutes. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Well, the Dow's gone green for the month to date. S&P needs about 71 points to do the same. It's going to get a pretty good dent here at uh, the open as some of this um, Fed speak has settled down, allowing us to focus a bit more on industrial earnings, which have been good. The opening bells in about five minutes. All right, let's get to a, a mad dash as we count down to an opening bell. It's two minutes from now. Yes, I love industrial companies that just keep going and going and going. The multiple's low, and they keep buying back stock. And Dow Chemical may be the ex- class example of a company that really a lot of people felt wasn't that doing that well. And Jim Fitterling's come in, and just pretty much every single line has been great. Uh, it, 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 the only thing he actually even worries for a second is about housing. But the EBITDA is so much better here. The earnings are so much better. Strong demand. And he can really tick down the fact that this is the halcyon time for industrials. And there isn't really anything, you know, so to speak. He's got all agriculture that's doing well. He's worried about famine, obviously. He's a very thoughtful person, but 
it is, uh, it's their time. And even though the stock has moved tremendously, believe it or not, it's still very inexpensive. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that this man has really done a great job making a company that was a slow grower that was kind of lumber, you know, lumbering into an amazing a lot of plastic. Yeah. Now, we'll tell you so interesting because he is, again, an intellectual. What is he worried about? TSMC. So many companies are responsible or need a Taiwan Semi. They have, that's a customer of theirs. That, uh, that the America just kind of went off the rails in, term of, in terms of how important TSMC is. Why is he worried about that? Well, it's a big customer of theirs, but he's worried about it because he said, that's where the bottle, you, you ask where the bottleneck is in this country. Uh, after uh, labor, which the railroads are talking about, the real one is semis. And it's Taiwan, it's, it's Taiwan semis, it's not their fault. They're spending fortunes. It's everybody else. So keep in mind, it was just a beautiful quarter. And I could see the stock going even higher. Very inexpensive. Great point, Jim. They're really good. And we'll get to some of the other smaller industrial names in a second. Let's get the opening bell here on the CNBC Real-Time Exchange. At the big board, it's uh, R-Cube Global Capital celebrating the relaunch of its global dividend growth ETF. At the NASDAQ, it is Applied Blockchain celebrating its recent IPO. Jim, we talked about ASML yesterday and the underlying strength for semi-capital equipment, which makes LRCX a bit of a puzzle today. Well, LRCX is one of those core. Tim Archer is a, a, a much-loved CEO. And it, it was, it, it, he starts out by saying how disappointed he was. He's a very self-effacing gentleman. Uh, and then says, look, it's almost 100% supply, with the exception of low-end chips. And also, by the way, he said cell phone chips, which is being ignored today. But that everything else is all systems go, and he just can't get enough chips to make the chip equipment. But he's using a $100 billion uh, uh, wafer fab number, which means that there's just going to be a fortune put in, and it won't be enough. So people may see him as a horrible miss. People are all worried. But the fact is, is that he cannot make, he cannot meet demand at all. There was some discussion yesterday of, say, China and Russia create what they call, I guess now, splinter nets, meaning competing web universes. Uh, it's going to be good for these guys who are going to have to supply everybody. Yeah, well, they have a huge China business. And Lam is, is universally respected uh, as the, again, the, the leader in the group, ASML, in the good game, good game yesterday. I, look, there'll be some people at the end who say, you know what, they did still miss the number. But all you have to do is read the first line. I mean, the first line of the release is, we disappointed ourselves. But he is a disciple of the great Rick Hill. Uh, he will make a comeback. They will get their numbers. The second half is going to be great, and you should not sell the stock. It also sells at about 12 times earnings. You know, we talk about companies that are too expensive, too expensive. It's not the industrial companies. It's those companies that don't make anything or, like, they're, you know, they're all, like, third tertiary used car companies that made it look like they were growth companies. You know, they rented the highway, rented the runway, rented the this, rented the rat. The rat. Um, stick with the good ones. I uh, wanted to get to AT&T, guys, as well. Stock's actually up nicely, 2.3%. We'll see. It's Reporting a quarter that uh, was messy because, of course, it still included their ownership of Warner Media. That's going to be over. So the next quarter, you're going to get a lot cleaner results. Um, but through all the mess, the actual thing that they do now, which is basically wireless wireline, right? So it's fiber builds, which they're very aggressively doing and providing broadband, and the wireless business, of course, which is still the key, look pretty good. 4.8% uh, wireless service growth, uh, 691,000 postpaid phone net ads. Churn was 0.79%. Uh, you see it all there. 
And then there's the broadband side of the business, which we've been talking about a lot when it comes to talking about the larger cable companies, such as our own parent Comcast or Charter uh, as well, because AT&T is aggressively expanding in certain footprints, uh, talking about what being able to address as many as 17 million homes now. And they grew pretty quickly, 6.8% broadband revenues. They added 289,000 users of their fiber. Uh, And they say, listen, when we get to an area and we give you the price proposition, we typically win the customer. All right, maybe, maybe not, but that's the key for them. Of course, they also lay out yet again, and they did this already in their investor day. Remember, it was only in March uh, that they're investing for growth, 24 billion in capital investment, both this year and next year, reducing debt on target to get to two and a half times EBITDA by the end of 23, and that eight billion a year they spend on the dividend. But Jim, the last messy quarter, because now it's a pure play, and so far so good. In fact, you could argue, given those Netflix numbers yesterday, not a bad time to get out of what seems to be a very competitive business when it comes it to direct-to-consumer streaming. One, I mean, I, I didn't know there's still, as always, so many customers up for grabs. And this T-Mobile takes so many customers, Verizon maybe the odd man out. We've got to see how they grow. Mm-hmm. But look, I'm willing to say there is momentum here. Uh, and the free cash flow is good. So it was surprising. Uh, maybe a more focused ATT is uh, one that does better. The old shrink to grow. We'll see. And uh, obviously, David, one through, earnings report does not a, uh, a long-term business make. Read through to a business that we know well, broadband revenue up 6.8%. Yes, yes, I just mentioned that. I know, that was a big number. No, but I'm saying Comcast. Right. Maybe it's, well, that's the question. Are they bringing competition? More competition well, to the likes of... Well, it's worth knowing because... Of, if, of the incumbent providers, or is there growth overall? Right, because that's been the missing question, missing answer, because a lot of people felt that there is some sort of movement in the population Yes. that is current. But now, the movement of the population has been extraordinary. I've got Huntington Bank shares on tonight, Ohio Bank. The, the Cleveland area is booming. Really? Yeah. Cleveland. Didn't know that. Kind of extraordinary. Yeah. Who knows? Anything can happen. Yeah, a lot of mobility uh, post-COVID. Uh, Dow's yes. up 314. By the way, you mentioned Netflix. Uh, Scott Wapner uh, with his uh, report this morning on Ackman's response to the $430 million, uh, three-month loss. Uh, Netflix has bounced off 212, though. Yeah, it's up. Right. Oh. Just, uh, just turned up. You know, have you been doing any work on all the different ETFs that were in control yesterday, all the various FANG and FANG derivatives? They pushed everything down. And there was a big vacuum. I don't know how much Ackman blowing up mattered, but there was way too much us, there, way too much pin action in these stocks. Uh, look, Fang is something I created. It went out of fashion. Plus, they changed half the names anyway. Well, now it's Mana anyway. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, but you know, look, I, I think that when you look at some of the stocks that went down yesterday in relation, it's just because the ETF proliferation of the greed of the different banks, different operations. It is pathetic, and it's really hurt a lot of the, I think, the individual investors who thought that they'd be safe uh, in War- these ETFs. Warner Brothers Discovery is still down as well, but Paramount uh, is not. Uh, I, I thought Ackman, listen, you know, I mean, I give him credit. He just said basically the thesis changed, and I've learned enough to know that at this point, when we discover newer information about an investment that's inconsistent with our thesis, uh, I, we sell. So he did. I thought his statement was great. He took his fund. I think he's only down 2% for the year. So doing a lot better than a lot of other hedge funds. Doing better than Melvin Capital. Oh, yeah. A lot right? better. And not better. necessarily asking for, yeah, give your money back and then I'll take it back. But I'll have my performance fee re-rated. Um, there's a quote from uh, 
from Ackman in that letter describing why he decided to exit a position. He only took a few months back uh, when it came to Netflix. Hey, switch is mine. Good. Yeah. Good for him. Showed great flexibility. Nothing wrong with that. We mentioned Carvana earlier, Jim. Uh, for all the talk about consumers trading up and strong household balance sheets, big miss on EPS and EBITDA. Uh, 87, I'm going to look for... Uh, how long it's been since we've seen a price like that, Jim? Mid-2020. Yeah, I mean, look, you've got a problem there. They had a problem in capital. They don't have a mixed model. Uh, You do need a mixed model, uh, like AutoNation. They have a new and used model. Used was up 47, new down. Uh, But there's there's a decline in the price of used cars, and they they need asset-backed bonds to be able to continue to grow, and they have to raise a lot of capital. So initially, the stock's down 20 because people say, how are they going to get out of this jam? And then they say, well, we're going to raise capital, though the family's putting in some money, and then they get out of the jam. But I would say you need to steer clear of this one big time. This is just a powder keg. Uh, even as Tesla, uh, at the with the 10% opening gain, that's the best gain since January. Very deserving. I mean, it's a straightforward, better quarter than everybody else. It's, it's one of these things to periodically see a company that's doing substantially better than expected, which was incredibly better than expected to begin with. Musk is a, is a genius. We talk, we don't, you know, how many times can you say it? But there is, they're the greatest manufacturer on the planet right now. Um, speaking of Musk, uh, there are new filing out, uh, adding to his 13D in Twitter, giving us some of what is our first significant information, uh, answering a question that I've been asking many times, and the board of Twitter will as well. What's your financing look like? Uh, take a look. Let's see if shares of Twitter are responding. So at he's all. going. Is he going to? Um, is he going to break the poison pill? Is he going to test the no, poison no, pill? No, no, he's not going to test the pill. But right. but what what we do find here in the in, and I'm going through this right now uh, as everybody else is. He does have a. Um, a Morgan Stanley uh, debt commitment letter that would provide $13 billion in financing uh, for a potential deal. Uh, that includes a senior secured term loan of $6.5 billion. Uh, looks like um, some other things as well. Senior secured bridge loan up to $3 billion. Uh, unsecured bridge as well of $3 billion. So $13 billion in what they're calling committed financing for Morgan Stanley. And then in a separate commitment letter, it looks like he'll also get a margin loan for some $12.5 billion in margin loans, proceeds of which will be distributed or otherwise made available to purchasers. So that would be on his Tesla stake. So some specifics from Mr. Musk in terms of how he would go about financing a Twitter bid. It's a question we've had. Not that he did not have the wherewithal, of course, to pull it off, but how he would choose to do so. Would he margin more Tesla stock? Would he have some unsecured lending? Would, what would Morgan Stanley be willing to step up for? We'll uh, look more into this, of course, but that does add up to a decent amount of money right there uh, and certainly something that the Twitter board is going to have to consider as it potentially begins discussions with him. I believe he does say here that really haven't had much of any back and forth yet with the company. No, that's what I true. See. But I would tell you, David, there is still a process going on. They're trying to be rigorous. He's outrunning it. Yeah. And, of course, he's got the ultimate cannon, which is that if he walks away, this thing's worth 33. And he is yeah. saying, you're right, Jim, and he is saying that they haven't responded to the proposal. Given the lack of response, they are exploring whether to commence a tender offer to acquire all the shares. Now, I would only point out that you can't close said tender offer when there's a poison pill preventing you from uh, right. exceeding 15% of the stock. So you got to have a negotiation with the board. Uh, that is yet to happen. Calls to be made here. Let's see Stay what close. happens. Yeah. Stay close to that. All right. One of the most exciting companies in this market, and we're going to switch entirely to something that's much more universal, apparel, 
and a company that's doing so far much better than every other company in the apparel industry is Lululemon. They had a fantastic analyst day. It took about five hours for me to listen to it. It didn't matter. It was quite pleasant, well orchestrated, and very, very smart. And they announced a five-year uh, growth plan to actually double its revenue to $12.5 billion by 2026. I actually think, believe it or not, they're going to be able to do this without they're going to be ahead of plan. And the reason, one of the reasons why I'd be ahead of plan, although he'll say it's his team that's doing it, is, uh, is Lou's CEO, and it's Calvin McDonald. And, it's, sir, it is a joy to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Excited to be here. Well, I just want to get right to it. Uh, when you talk about what's doing it, I mean, you're talking about team, but you're also talking about something that I found under, unbelievable. The unaided brand awareness of your company after what I thought was really one of the greatest people like Tesla. It's just people saying I love Lulu is 25%. Nike's at 80, 85, which is what makes me so confident you're going to do the numbers. Yeah, well, we definitely see uh, that as one of the indicators uh, for us being early innings of our growth. Uh, and we know uh, we've been testing a lot of different ways to drive that awareness, and we're excited with how it's resonating. And it's just one of the metrics that's exciting when we look ahead and doubling the business that, uh, that we have ahead of us. And then, uh, you know, there's some interesting think, tennis, golf, footwear, historically tough businesses. But you think you got an edge in them. We definitely see an opportunity. What I love, what we call our play categories, be golf, tennis, and hiking. Uh, And what I shared yesterday is we design into them as a small collection that ultimately drives the versatility and the core of the product. There are a ton of individuals playing those sports in the product we already have, but we bring credibility to the sport through uh, unique innovation. And it allows us to lift the core in addition to, which is a very unique opportunity to grow that core business. Don't want to be too anecdotal, but uh, someone wins the Boston Marathon and they're wearing yours. I mean, most people, it's about how much money they've made. This person just liked your stuff. Yep. Uh, It was great to see. uh, And it just shows the inroads we're making with great technical product into activities like run, train, and yoga, uh, which are our core activities. Now, I have talked with you uh, off camera about the mirror. Uh, By the way, my daughter says Amanda Robinson uh, actually shouted out her name the other day. (laughs) Great. Uh, But there are issues that some people felt you paid too much for mirror. Some people felt, well, this is something you bought during the pandemic, uh, like Peloton, and it can explode. You spent $400 million. I thought the mirror presentation was one of the more, more cogent yesterday. Can you lay out a path which just says, we're not Peloton, we're better. And by the way, why not brand more of the product Lulu? Just yeah. explain this, because I think one of the things that hurt your company was a series of articles, of which I read and, and referenced, which said that mirror may not work. Um, we definitely wanted to take time yesterday to uh, present our position for Mirror. Uh, the reason why I was and remain excited about the acquisition, and it's about growing our relationship community with our guests and doing it in both a digital and physical uh, arena. What we presented yesterday is an evolution of the Mirror membership. We are going to rebrand it Lululemon Studio membership. We announced eight new members that are going to be joining a marketplace platform. So we will have more content than any other uh, fitness platform out there. And we're going to launch a digital app that allows our members to engage in it, either through a digital app experience or through Mirror being the hardware. But we believe from a content fitness immersive experience, uh, it's uh, unrivaled in the industry. It's very unique. We're excited to share that. uh, And we'll be launching that later this year. I'm a believer. I wasn't. 
By the way, the mirror's good looking, even without anything going on. China mainland, often hard to be able to explain how big it can be, particularly with what's going on now. But you clearly have a vision that's going to make it so that's going to help the 30% compound growth rate. We, uh, we announced a, a quadrupling about our international business in China. Uh, in, in addition to the other markets, is a big part of that. Uh, and if we fast forward to 26, uh, we see it being our second largest market in the world behind the U.S. Uh, our brand is resonating incredibly strong there. We've continued to see good growth momentum. We're early innings, as you know. We have 70 stores. We see a path to 220, and our digital business continues to grow and has through the past few years. I am surprised at the amount of cash that you generate. You're a growth company. You still bought back a lot of stock. You have a lot of, you have no debt. I mean, your company is doing a lot of things right in an industry where people seem to not be very limited. Is that because you understand that people sweat more, they buy more? Is it because you recognize young yoga, run and train? Is it because that men's is coming on so strong? Because there is a, a level that is, I, I usually do not like when people talk about flywheels. Thank you for not. You're just talking about how early innings is really the time. So why are you doing twice as well as the S&P in an area where people, frankly, have been underwhelmed? Yeah, I think it plays to the strengths of the brand. Um, the behavioral changes we've seen in the marketplace is available for all uh, to deliver upon, but it really plays to the strengths of the brand uh, rooted in our product that's versatile with the category being active uh, and well-being. And our innovation, our product, our experience with guest relationships fuels that in a unique way, and it plays to our advantages in market expansion where we're early. So I just think it's resonating uh, and we're well positioned and the team's doing a great job. A lot of companies talk about uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and my eyes glaze over these days. You uh, did not necessarily tip your hand about what it's doing for artificial intelligence, machine learning. But why don't you tell us what you're learning from the iterative? Because you deal with guests directly and you find out what they're up to. I talked a lot about uh, D2C. You hear a lot about yeah. it, right? Other companies don't want to get closer and into that market. And I really separated our version on D2C isn't through a selling lens. It's through a relationship lens. That's the ultimate advantage. Uh, and it has been and it will continue to be. It's a big part of the Lululemon Studio membership program. Knowing our guests more, it's the launch of the membership program and what we do in store and online with our educators and with our guests. So there's a lot of information through that relationship we're able to better understand. And as I say, we know how they sweat. We have a front row seat to that. And it drives our product innovation uh, in a very unique way that's helping fuel. And ultimately, our product is about meeting unmet needs. And when you understand those needs through relationships, you're able to create product that they want. Talk about a physical uh, store square footage growth, your low double digits, right? Where, where does the physical store fit in now? Speaking of all these patterns that have been broken historically. Yeah, we, we're still a strong believer in stores, especially in our early markets on the international side. But even in North America and the U.S., uh, we continue to see store expansion opportunities, new locations, as well as expanding the locations we have. We take a very conservative approach. We have a very agile fleet. We go in with seasonal pop-ups that allows us to test and validate. We then open a store. And and as we prove the store, we add square footage to it. So we're always managing that productivity. But it's a great vehicle to recruit new guests. Uh, and it's a big part of that relationship that I mentioned on our educators with our guests. So we're strong believers in Omni in general. But stores are a big piece of that. And you can swing that pendulum too far if you go totally digital and lose a lot of the, the soul of the brand and the easier way to acquire new guests. But I do wonder over time what your goal is or expectation for revenues uh, direct to consumer versus in-store. 
we saw a great acceleration of that during the pandemic. We were 28% pre, we hit 44% last year, and we sort of guided to a moderate expansion as a ratio. Um, I think like many businesses, 50-50 is probably the future. I think a 50-50 business in terms of international North America is on the horizon for us. I won't say 50-50 men's and women's because we should always be selling more women's to men's, but we're excited about the growth we see in our men's business as well. Um, but I think we can aspire to a 50-50. But I never love to manage just purely on ratios because it's about the absolute dollar growth and the potential. And we see both uh, channels growing over the next five years. I, I know I have to run, but I think that yesterday we had a day where Netflix was bad, Spotify was bad. P- people are really questioning this uh, subscription model. But $39 per month for Miram, which is the equivalent of just one lesson, basically. Uh, I actually think that you're coming out with a subscription model that may accelerate here. Do you think I'm being too optimistic? I'm excited about the position and the product that we're presenting. You know well, today you can get incredible content through the Mirror Instructors. We've just added eight studios and we're not changing the price, right? National and local known studios that people can't even get access to or get into, like Dog Pound. Dog Pound. Good luck. Can't get into right? Dog the waiting Pound. list. And now you're going to be able to get that all on your membership. Your so bar. when you dial up and tune in and you want to work out, the breadth of assortment and versatility is unmatched. Uh, for the same value. And by bringing a digital app, it's going to open it up to more people uh, to participate. So we always felt, I always felt, Mirror was about content and about the fitness experience and driving that. It wasn't a hardware play for us. You're going to be right. That is Calvin McDonald. You got to look. It takes five hours. Just go listen to the darn thing. You'll know why I think he's going to be right. Chief Executive Officer of one of the greatest performers of our year that's going higher, Lulu Lemon. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Jim. Appreciate it. Thank you. As we go to break, let's take a look at the bond report. Ten-year right around 288. Uh, We are expecting Powell later on this afternoon. Talk about uh, some Fed speak before the FOMC goes into blackout mode. We're also on watch for POTUS, uh, getting some updates on further uh, military aid to Ukraine. Overall, though, S&P back about 4,500 and above the 200-day for the first time since April 8th. Let's get to gym and stop trading. It's not often when you have a stock that you're up 30, 40%, you take the profit at Dip Point Chapel Trust and then watch the stock go up another $30. But Nucor reported an incredible number last night, the largest steel company in the country, and some of it's because of Russia not being able to dump, but some of it's just because Leon Tabalian's got the right stuff. And uh, they said the second quarter is going to be the record quarter. A lot of the analysts thought that they'd make uh, in the full year what they're going to make in the second quarter. So this company has a history of doubling and then doubling. Uh, I got out too soon because I thought it was being greedy. But this one where it's paid to be greedy. How would you compare that to Alcoa's number, though? Well, Alcoa has some, has some supply chain issues. And, right. and the, he, the, he, the CEO made an impassioned defense this morning in Squawk. But Leon... Uh, it's got scrap coming down for him. He's got all the right kinds of steel. This is their time. Periodically, they have their time, and it's this one. And the stock's probably not done going high. Yeah. We didn't really get to. We didn't get to Pentair. Uh, we didn't get to Dover. We didn't get to Danaher. All with uh, revenue double digit or close to it. Look, and in some cases, in Pentair's case, able to offset inflation for the first time in almost well, a year. In the end, what we have to recognize is there's two markets. There's the market that was loved before the November pivot by Jay Powell. And then there's the market that has loved ever since. And the, the ones that are loved are something like a new court, which sells us seven times earnings. So you're feeling good about we got through the banks. Right. And now we're into the midst of the industrials in terms of guidance for the year to I've the got, extent we're getting it. Yeah. Look, I think the earnings uh, are not going to be stopped by the Fed yet. 
uh, a lot of people, when you're listening to conference calls about what's going to happen in recession, 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 and it just doesn't ring true when you're dealing with CSX, when you're dealing with Union Pacific, when you're dealing with Dow Chemical. It, it's like, you know, st- you know, stop us if you can. Housing is the only area that's gotten weak, and there's not a lot of business in housing, only 10% of the economy. Barclays today, solid set of industrials, jives with the bigger picture bull narrative that things are better than feared, might put a dent in the recession thesis. I think it does. I think, I think you, right. were, you know, we're talking about a, a, a more shallow recession, if we get a recession, given the fact that the consumers in such great shape. I think that American Express tomorrow is going to be a very important quarter because I think that they're going to talk about business travel, David, yeah. talk about going out. Going out. Service. I listened closely to John Gray on Sparkbox this morning. By the way, Blackstone shares up about 1.8%. They just continue to amass massive amounts of assets. Talked a lot about the B read earlier this week. But he did say he's very worried about wage inflation. Very. Well, I mean, look, if you listen to the CSX conference call, which is a beautiful conference call. And Blackstone has a lot they're, of they're portfolio companies they yeah, see that in. They need 400 people. They need 400 people to make their numbers. But, they, you know, you have to go through. 10,000 people to find 400. This is to ship, you know, put a coal train together. Right. So, yes, a coal train. Finally got to work in coal trains for many years. <laughs> but it is just a remarkable moment. If you want a job in this country. You got one. You yeah, got claims it. at 184. Yeah. What's tonight? I got the bank that's the hottest area in the country. Huntington Bank, Cleveland. Well, it's only fitting by the, the fact that the Cleveland Guardians are coming to <laughs> the town Guardians. Week. That's two Guardian mentions in a week. Guardians. Well, why not? No, let's throw another one. I think Cleveland. the Guardians is an undervalued franchise for Disney. <clears throat> you do? Yeah. Oh, the Guardians of the Galaxy. I'll take any of them. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll right. talk about Disney more later. Yeah. We'll see you tonight. Thank uh, you, guys. Mad Money, 6 p.m. Eastern time. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.